Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society where we take a look at all of the Star Trek movies with a more critical eye. I'm Mike and I'm joined as always by Diego. How's it going, Diego? It's going good. It's going smoothly. Uh, this podcast is not futile. I guess not. Uh, and of course, we're also joined by Marcelo. How's it going, Marcelo? It's going fantastic. And can I say, gentlemen, I am engaged in this conversation. There you go. <laughs> All right. Both going to hell. <laughs> That's not a quote. What are you doing? <laughs> um, to hell with this podcast. There, there we go. go. Yes. That's a there quote. That's a quote, Perfect. right? Perfect. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or if you were any other man, I would kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that would work too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the eighth movie in the Star Trek franchise and the second movie in the Star Trek the Next Generation franchise, I guess. Star Trek First Contact. And before we do that, we're going to be talking about a couple of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, which are related to Star Trek First Contact. We're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 26, The Best of Both Worlds, and Season 4, Episode 1, The Best of Both Worlds, Part 2. So, Diego, did you see the best of both worlds prior to First Contact? Before watching the films, yes. I I was a Trekkie TV fan after I watched the original series films. And so only later in my, my Trekkie fandom did I check out TNG stuff. Because this, this isn't like a, a, a negative TNG, I'm not exactly ride or die for. It offers something different, and I'm glad it does, but it's not my go-to Trek, like I've mentioned. It's still the original series, so it took me a little while to get to those films. And so I, after watching the series and, you know, this, like, legendary cliffhanger, uh, it kind of rocked my world and got me more excited when I heard that the Borg were also in the films. Uh, I'll, I'll let it linger for a little bit if it disappointed, but I was very excited once I heard that. Okay. Did you see them? Did you see the two episodes back to back? Was there a gap? Like No, uh, b- back just, to back. Back to back. Yeah. Okay. Me too. I, the first time I saw it was part of a uh, viewer's choice marathon, my, my very first viewer's choice marathon, which those things were awesome on WPWR Power 50 in in Chicago, you know, you call, you would call in to vote and they wouldn't tell you what episodes were going to be showing. It was just like, we're going to be showing this for 10 hours and we're going to count it down. And everyone kind of knew that it was going to end with Best of Both Worlds and sure enough it did. So I had to wait like an entire commercial break in between those two things and I, it, was, it was killing me. But now Marcelo, uh, yes. we... we, we Gave you some rules for watching this based on, I think it's Ashley Edward Miller who, who did this to his kids. He made them wait three hours, one hour for every month that he had to wait back in 1990. So this is only your second episode of Next Generation. Um, what, did, what did you think? Yeah, so I had, of course, heard of this. Uh, these episodes, The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2. Um, I knew the basic plot, like the Borgs are bad and they take over Picard and they, they just have to deal. Um, that's, the, that's the basic plot. Um, and yeah, this is my first time seeing these two episodes. And okay, just to answer the, the, the whole you know time, sp- time span in between the two episodes, I did wait like a full day. In between watching part one and part two, like I saw part one and was like, "Oh, because like you, you you mentioned it last episode." Well, it was on Mike, right? You were saying, yeah, "Yeah, you know, imagine having to wait that long, three months for the resolution for the part two of this, and understand that that uh, <laughs> that uh, statement because part one abruptly ends with." Um, who is it? Um, God, I don't know these R- characters' R- names. Riker. Riker. Riker's like he's 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 the captain on the Enterprise now, and he says, "Fire on Picard and the Borg," and then it cuts to black, and then it says, "To be continued." 
and apparently I read afterwards like that's the first time Star Trek had ever done that, right? And it was a I was like, yeah, this is pretty great. This is just a, a great cliffhanger. It I got me thinking like, what what other great cliffhangers are there? Season finales, and I t- I tweeted about like I asked the questions like, hey, what were some great season finales? And of course, this answer popped up like four or five times, mm-hmm. and I I'm not surprised because yes, it is a great two-parter that cliffhanger is amazing and i did wait entire day until this morning to see the second part and that was a, it was a it was a solid two-parter it's a solid star trek story and as much as i still don't know much about the borg i have questions about the borg <laughs> um i still enjoyed it and it was a great precursor to uh first contact so yeah um i understand now why this is a great season finale and you know, first episode of a season. Why it's a great two-parter, and why it's like one, why it's why it's uh, considered one of the great Star Trek episodes. So yeah, I I uh, I liked that I was forced to see this. So. <laughs> Good. Uh, so Diego, what what did you think about Best of Both Worlds? Uh, it's terrific. It's it's one of the the best little Star Trek arcs episodes. Um. I, in my mind, I've just stopped really separating them because it is, like, really one whole story, you know? And, like, you could, like, edit it together into, like, a, a feature-length movie, essentially. They have, officially. Mm-hmm. You get it that Wh- way. Which is yeah. uh, really awesome, I think. Uh, I, I guess my my favorite thing about the Borg as villains is more than just, like, their cool kind of... H.R. Giger designs, it's that they're such like a perfect antithesis to Starfleet and the Federation, where the Federation is all about like community and like learning and helping each other grow. The Borg is like, we are all one and the same and there's no difference. Like, it, it's just, just such a genius concept for villains <laughs> that uh, yeah. uh, every once in a while you see something else try to come up with like a, a Borg like thing like the same capacity as like Darth Vader which sounds weird because the Borg are the many and Vader's like one right but like even in Star Wars books in the 90s they came up with something called like the Yuzang Vong and I know that the Star Wars fandom who's fans there but uh, I think they're awful Borg ripoffs <laughs> and Star Wars doesn't need <laughs> Borg because Star Wars is not Star Trek uh, and yeah they're this is like the peak of the Borg conflict, I think, you know, just in, in Star Trek as a whole for me. Yeah, I mean, certainly the most noteworthy, I think, Borg anything, although, you know, because it's like, OK, they come to Earth and, you know, they stopped the unstoppable. And where do you go from here? And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't, I don't know where you go from here. You know, do you go anywhere from here? Where where, where can you go? Um, and they went to some weird places, uh, which... Um, I think worked to varying degrees. Uh, we, we may see one or two of those uh, further down the line. Um, but uh, the, the, the first stop was first contact. I mean, I guess just, you know, for whatever, um, I, I enjoy best of both worlds quite a bit as well. You know, I always put it up there as one of my top episodes of, of next generation in particular, you know, over the years, I guess I, I've, I don't, I'm not super crazy in love with it as much as I was back when I was a kid, but I still think it's really good. And watching it this time, I'm like, yeah, this really does hold up. It, it it's it's pretty cool. And and I mean, the thing which always kind of struck me is that as much as people think of it as the one where Picard turns into a Borg, it's really a Riker episode. It's all mm-hmm. about him and his arc, and and I think that that's yeah. pretty pretty cool. I've said this before. Like, I'm not the biggest you know next generation guy. But seeing these episodes along with these movies, it's giving me much needed context with the characters. And so, I mean, I mean, just re- rewind to two minutes ago when I forgot who uh, who one character was, Riker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like, I I don't know, like this, the best of both worlds episodes fleshes out his character, um, and I I enjoyed um, his journey from you know, not wanting to be the captain of another ship and wanting to be the first officer on the enterprise. Cause it's the enterprise and it's, 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 it's the top ship in the, in the fleet. Mm-hmm. And then his journey from, from like being promoted to captain after Picard is kidnapped. And, and then that 
uh, again that that uh, the end of the first the first episode where he says just attack. So it's it's a pivotal moment that plays out in the second episode when he has that confrontation with um, Whoopi Goldberg, her character. Yeah. Um, oh, and I can't forget the female officer who's like always like on his on his back. I forget her name, her character's name. Troy. But yeah, Troy. She's she's a great addition to these episodes, and I think she's a great character. And um, those are moments when she like, you know, gives him not shit, but like says, "Hey, this is what actually, this is what what is actually happening." She listened to me, and then he gradually learns to just say, "Yeah, you know, you're just as headstrong as I was when I first." Um, oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, I said not not Troy. Um, Commander See, Shelby. Sorry, I don't know any of these characters' names, but thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the only episode that she's in for what is. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I well, well, why not bring her back? Come on, she, I think that like, like in these, uh, I guess her guest appearance here is actually pretty damn good. So surprised yeah, that she, she doesn't have her own spinoff or something. Uh, um, Elizabeth Dennehy, who's um, Brian Dennehy's daughter. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. There you wow. Go. wow. Um, and she, yeah, she the, she never came back. I don't think for any particular reason. I think they just didn't bring her back. But um, that character, uh, Peter David, the comic book writer, Hulk, and all, all the rest of it, he uh, created a Star Trek book series about like a completely different ship and everything. And she was like the first officer on that ship. So, nice. You know, there she's, okay. she, she lives on in the expanded universe. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, um, I just really want to shout out uh, that it's too bad Gene Roddenberry didn't care for anything after he stepped away from the films and Next Generation because specifically Shelby and Riker's conflict I think is such a great evolution of like the original series conflicts where like they all got along but they always butt heads, you know? And then he was saying mm-hmm. for Next Gen he didn't want any of that or whatever ridiculous stuff. Like I, I find it ridiculous, at least because they're the Riker just straight up says like we don't have to like each other to work well together, and it's just yeah. like I mean we've all worked jobs where it's like you might not be a fan of someone, but you could oh, you yeah. know something needs to get done, so you get it done, you know, which is yeah. not as serious as what's going on in this episode, but I mean that's just <laughs> life. You're not gonna like everyone, and that's okay, you know. Yeah. And, and he was still tangentially involved with the show at this point. This was like, like he had died within like a year of this thing. Oh, that's on. too bad. You know, so he he had really kind of like stepped back, um, but he he uh, was still you know kind of kind of involved with 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 what was happening behind the scenes. So yeah, okay. So then six years later. They decided to make a movie, a second movie. And, you know, the Borg, I think the idea, I mean, they feel like a big screen villain and everything. The idea of bringing the Borg back uh, and, and, you know, doing it in the second movie, I think that it just makes sense. It's like bringing Joker into Dark Knight, you know, or Khan into, into Darkness. You know, it's just, it's the logical next step. And, you know, Generations, as much as people didn't like it, it, it did make a ton of money. I mean, we were still at peak Star Trek, you know, at that point. But, you know, it, it was it was it certainly was doing well enough that it was understood, really, that there was going to be a, another movie. There was going to be a movie every two years, basically, at this point. And, you know, Moore and Braga, who wrote Generations, I mean, they had enough... I don't know, pedigree or whatever, that they were asked to come back to do this one. And this time around, I don't think there were really any restrictions. I don't think, I mean, certainly certain people needed to approve of things, but they weren't given a list of things that they needed to include. They could just write a movie. And this is what they wrote. And um, as far as the direction is concerned... David Carson, who directed the last one, he was kind of not ever considered because the last one went over budget and over schedule and everything. And, you know, and there was a lot of talk about who they should bring in. And again, it was decided to to look for someone within. And Jonathan Frakes had really put in the time to learn how to become a director while making Next Generation and became one of their best directors. And he got the job for First Contact. So... Yeah, 
what do you guys think about first contact? Uh, Diego. Uh, I didn't like this movie when I first saw it. I didn't like any of the TNG movies when I first saw them. And like I had mentioned before up top that I was excited to see the Borg with a budget, you know, because, you know, Star Trek's not the most (laughs) expensive show ever made. And that's fine. That's part of its charm, I think, too. So I'm happy to say that this revisit, I'm not head over heels in love with First Contact, but I really like it now. And it's got problems, but I can overlook a lot of them because I think this is the one where the the next-gen crew really come into their own on the big screen. And in some ways, maybe this kind of should have been their first film. <laughs> yeah, what, what about you, Marcelo? What did you think? Yeah, I've gone on a record on this podcast and other places saying I'm not a fan of First Contact before watching it for this um, series. But having seen it you know, today we're watching it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like this movie. I do. But the fact that for some reason it still puts me to sleep, <laughs> I can't help that <laughs> because Hey, I learned my lesson last from last episode of me dozing through the first two episodes of Voyager. Um, I, I had tea, you know, I had a nice lunch it was like 1 p.m. <laughs> there was no way I had like like a good eight hours sleep last night. There was no way I was going to fall asleep during First Contact. And I had seen Breast of Both Worlds and was wide awake. So here you go, First Contact. And without a doubt, about halfway through, I was like, my eyelids were just... just <laughs> and I go, fuck, what is happening? I got I to gotta Diet Coke. Sorry, not Diet Coke, Coke Zero. It's not that. It's not get that confused. I Coke Zero sat down, watched the, the 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 rest of the movie, but I don't know what it is. It's something about this movie that just. I like it though. I like the movie. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I like it more now than I, than I did you know when I first saw it. But it just it's it's not boring. But it's just it's it, it, it's I don't know. It's not as exciting as as I think it's, as it should be. If that makes sense, it doesn't captivate me. As much as like a, a movie about the Borg destroying humanity should. Um, but I can still say I liked it, but it's just a movie as good as it is makes me makes me want to go to sleep. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, I I saw this uh, the sneak preview, the Thursday night sneak preview at uh, the Oak Brook Theater um, back when I was a kid. And, you know, I, 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 I just absolutely loved it. I mean, this was... As much as I love Generations, and and it was sort of my gateway into movies, like this was the one where I'm like, well, this is really good, you know. And '96 was like the year when I first started. Like, it's the first year where I went to see everything, you know, like Independence Day, Chain Reaction, Escape from LA. You know, every week I was at the theater, so it was sort of the first time that I was seeing a new Star Trek movie as a movie fan. And I was like, this holds up, you know, this is as good as independence day, you know, this works extremely well. And, and I, I still feel that way. I, I do feel like there is sort of like a quantum leap in, in quality, uh, really back to what it was in something like undiscovered country, you know, the production design, the, the photography shot by, Matthew Leonetti, who um, just a year prior shot Strange Days for Catherine Bigelow, and uh, I'm pretty sure he shot Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, if I'm not mistaken. That might have been his brother. I I don't know. But um, yeah, good cinematographer and everything, and, and, and it really felt like I was watching a movie, not just an episode of, of Star Trek on the big screen. Um, it's interesting because this is by far the most beloved next generation movie. Uh, most fans say this is the only good one. And like looking at it, like on Rotten Tomatoes, like this is the second highest rated Star Trek movie of them all, like higher than Wrath of Khan, which is interesting. Um, but this is where I find it strange because, you know, like critically, like the critics love it. And Star Trek fans love it, but there's certainly a a section of Star Trek fans which do not like it for numerous reasons. And I think it's interesting that the two of you are kind of like, uh, it's not (laughs) great. 
you know, uh, good, but not great. That, that's, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, I'll just say the wrath of Khan connection. <laughs> I, it did, it did feel, I don't want to bring it up because hey, it is my, one of my favorite movies of all time. Wrath of Khan, you know, for somebody jumping in first contact in this series. Yes. Go back to the wrath of Khan episode to hear us talk about a classic, but this does, I feel make connections to wrath of Khan possibly a, a very in your face. I don't know. Cause like they had the same kind of uh, literary notes and, 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 and uh, the fact that yes, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, I mean this, this, this very much feels like, Oh, let's get like the best villain. One of the best villains from, from the series. Let's get the board back in here and let's have it more be, you know, with Picard's side of things and like more of an action adventure movie. Which I, I think it does work, but I've, for the life of me, maybe the stuff on Earth with James Cromwell, maybe that's where it just doesn't. That maybe that's where it kind of falls for me a bit. I'm just gonna just maybe crystallize my thoughts and saying like maybe if it just stuck to being the action adventure, you know, Picard versus the Borg in space, if they focused on that rather than you know blend in the first contact Earth stuff. Maybe it would have worked better for me. I don't know. That's just a, a wild guess. But yeah, um, I know what it's trying to do. <laughs> but for me, it, it, it does not hold a candle to Wrath of Khan. So I, I just have to say that. Yeah, you know, I it, in regards to the, the Earth stuff versus the, the space stuff, I, I don't know. I kind of have the opposite reaction. I, I really like the Earth stuff because it's... I mean, this is going to sound weird since it's like the fate of humanity, but it's like kind of like low stakes, you know, comparatively yeah. speaking, like up on the ship, they're fighting the Borg and downstairs in on, on Earth, downstairs on Earth, they're uh, <laughs> trying to convince a guy to fly a ship, you know, like, come on, man. This Which is really I, important. I do find it like as a, like, yeah, like you said, Mike, it's a good like low stakes story, but... Uh, for whatever reason, I just don't think it blends that well with like the other story with the Borg. I don't know. It just feels like its own separate thing. Yeah, I'm much more with Mike on this one. I think the Earth stuff is great, and James Cromwell is like a guy who's like, like that's a Back to the Future character. This is Back to the Future for <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Not that they haven't it, time traveled before, but like this, the, the Earth story is straight up like. Oh, but you're supposed yeah. to be like all oh, this this hubbub, and he's just like, ah, James Cromwell's just scared in a corner, and that's, you know, I wanted to tell him like that'll do at the end, basically. <laughs> uh, I, I loved that stuff. I'm gonna be honest, I love the the, the TNG crew also. You know, um, they're not action stars, so mm -hmm. Patrick Stewart in a tank top swinging around <laughs> over the Borg Queen at the end. <laughs> not my favorite uh it's him, I, him being john mcclain yeah john mcclaining it up uh not not ideal for me with that crew it doesn't like break anything i'm just like this is different and i don't <laughs> think the different that i appreciate from tng uh especially because tng is much more like sterile looking show than the original series, which again, something I really appreciate. Do not do the same thing if you're going to keep these stories going. You know, definitely keep evolving and and have your own material to work with. I really appreciate that. But like the uh, <laughs> the image of him swinging over the Borg Queen is just very yeah. silly to me. So maybe that's just I'll, me. I'll, but <laughs> no, I'll admit that's kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah. Uh, I I had more fun watching that though than some of the Earth stuff, so I'm definitely against you guys here. Mm. I don't think the Earth stuff works. It did. It's it's good. It's good, but I guess the the dramatic swings it goes for doesn't really hit me as much as like anything that Picard does with the Borg, because I think that's a more um, well. It's a more fleshed out story because I mean, it had those uh, those two parts, uh, best of both worlds, before it. So carrying that weight into this, that's why I think I, I connected with it more mm -hmm. than James Cromwell running away from his problems, and then I guess finally at the end saying, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." <laughs> yeah. I think it was like what uh, Reichert saying, "Oh, like uh, a man once said something, something you can't. Why, uh, if you can't be a great man, just be a man or something." That's the quote. 
and then James Cromwell just becomes the guy, and then that's it. I don't know. It it, it just, I don't know. It, you I don't know. know. The, the the Picard stuff is, I think, the if if there's anything that that people have a problem with fan, in terms of fans, it's that stuff, you know, um, because a, a lot of people, I think we talked about this last week, a lot of people see movie Picard as being different than series Picard, and that's really Patrick Stewart more than anything. He like went into them and said, "I want to be an action hero. I want to have a love interest," you know. <laughs> So they you know, stuck fuck. that stuff in. <laughs> they want to crack a beer open on a Borg's head. Yep, yep. <laughs> but you know, it, it makes sense to me because of his history. Like he's he's you know experienced a trauma, and this is how he's dealing with it. And and a lot of the problems I think that people had with it are sort of dealt with in in the new series Picard. Um, and and I think a lot of people are kind of more at peace with this movie now that they've seen that show, which is kind of interesting. Um, James Cromwell, I mean that that's interesting too. Uh, originally, and I mean, who knows how far this got? It sounds like not very far, right? But um, you know, word on the street was that Tom Hanks was a huge Star Trek fan. And apparently they asked him to play that character and he said no. But <laughs> wow, it's okay. kind, of, kind of a an interesting I thought I was going to make another turn. If. You're like, <laughs> he wanted to play it, but they're like, no, we're not going to have Tom Hanks in this movie. <laughs> it was 96 Tom Hanks. He just won two Oscars. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, that character does appear on an episode of the original series uh, called Metamorphosis. Oh, and okay. um, it's basically a completely different character. You know, I mean, like, and and also it's like he's in a completely different place in his life because, like, I forget what happens in the episode. Like, he disappears, like, you know, like, it's like, oh, whatever happened is that from Cochrane? No one knows. He disappears. And then, like, 200 years later, they find him on a planet living with, like, a cloud or something i don't know it's weird um but it's basically a completely different character you know aside from the backstory and the name but uh one of the things interesting about this movie going forward is that all of that stuff on earth really sort of laid the groundwork and was the basis for the series enterprise which came out five years later which was the prequel series, which told the story of the first ship named Enterprise and everything like that. And, you know, like, they even got James Cromwell to come back and do, like, a little, like, you see him on a TV screen talking, and now he's become, like, the noble, you know, historical figure or whatever, you know, you see the statue and all that stuff. Uh, and, and they even do a cool thing with the Mirror Universe in one episode where they recreate that the the last scene where he meets the Vulcans, it's funny. I won't ruin it for you, but it's funny anyway. Um, so so yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting piece of of Star Trek history because uh, it, it really does tell the origins of the whole the whole thing. And you know now, first contact day, uh, which I think is like April 5th, whatever is it, April 5th, whatever it was, they say it in the movie, I forget. But April 5th, I think, has become, you know, Star Trek Day, much like May the 4th, you know? Yeah. So, that's a thing. And uh, I, uh, this, I think the answer to my question is first contact. But I had this crazy thinking the other day. I was like, like where does like like Earth reality like end and then Star Trek reality begin? Does that make sense? Like the fiction mm-hmm. of Star Trek yeah. is it first contact day? Is it like that moment in history? Like that's when it like branches off and like not yes, this really. is Star Trek. Because well, like, I don't know. It's I mean, like the nineties. Yeah, because the, the eugenics war that birthed Khan was supposedly in the nineties in the original oh, series. Okay. And then okay. for the new movies, now it's just like, ah, oh, it's in the future. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, fine with it's that because it's just not going to make sense anyways. But they, they did uh, release a comic book series, like a prequel to uh, to Khan, you know, where they tell Khan's... 
<laughs> they tell Khan's origin story and how he came to power and everything like that. They even in the comic book explain how he turned white. <laughs> of course, um, you know. <laughs> But literally whitewashing him. Yep, yep. They they explain it in the comic. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, they actually maintained the idea of it being the '90s. You know, so so it is kind of cool how there is this sort of like alternate reality starting in the '90s. And I, um, I like that a lot. Actually, it's <laughs> yeah, so nerdy. Yeah, it's kind of a Watchmen sort of scenario. You yeah, know? Um, but it, it it works. You know. Um, I, I don't know if they're ever going to mention that on like a show. Although I think if you do the math in Into Darkness, they actually do kind of you know like say like oh yeah that was like two hundred years ago whatever and it, it lines up and you're like wait a minute they they, they don't call out like 1995 <laughs> but when you do the math it works <laughs> so that's kind of a an interesting thing I guess I think it's interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah but um, yeah so. Uh, this is the first time we see the new Enterprise, the Enterprise E. Um, what do you guys think about the ship, the new, the new design, and 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 also like the sets and stuff like that, which are new, of course. I like the lighting a lot in this one. Uh, there's some not to give thoughts on it yet, but there's some J.J. Abrams style like panning maneuvers <laughs> across people, like you know, uh, with that that. Close up, uh, long lens zoom, and as it's starting to turn around, the entire like crew to kind of like escalate tension. Not as flashy as maybe they they thought it was, considering what we've seen now. But um, uh, I, I like that a lot. Like just it's it's much more cinematic. Uh, they they were able to experiment a lot more with that because of the budget, and uh, it's really impressive. Actually, just. Like, on a personal level, I was like, wow, this one really, like, the the leap in quality is just not even, like, comparable from the way this looked to the way Generations looked. Yeah. They got new uniforms, right? They did. What did you think about the new uniforms? Yeah. I liked them. They're nice. Um, it, it looked like they've, um, well, they, they, they mentioned the heat once the board gets on the ship, but before then, I imagine... Because of their new uniforms, they kept the ship like at a cool fifty degrees. Because <laughs> they had s- sweaters on all the time. <laughs> uh-huh. They had designed new uniforms for generations, and like they even had like action figures made. Like all of the action figures for generations have these new uniforms and everything. And basically, when they when they gave them to the cast, they were like. We cannot wear these fucking things. These are the <laughs> most uncomfortable things ever. Uh, you know what? What do you? What are you thinking? So they scrapped them all and basically went back to what they had on the show, and then used like the uniforms that they had made for Deep Space Nine. And <laughs> if you go back and look at that movie, it's really obvious once someone points it out. <laughs> but uh, of course, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner, who plays Data, they got custom tailored uniforms for themselves everybody else had to just make do so like even Mm. like Riker, the first officer he's wearing avery brooks's uniform from deep space nine (laughs) and the arms are too short so Mm. all all, throughout the entire movie he has his sleeves rolled up and then like you look at like uh jordy's uniform and the arms are too long and they're like going past his fingers Uh it's crazy but um this yeah. is, we're talking about generations, right? A movie, <laughs> a, a a budget a budgeted feature film that had supporting actors uh, try on uniforms for a show. That's that's not tailored to them. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I, 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 okay. Let me answer the ship question, and then I'll get to the data thing because I have stuff to say about yeah, yeah, yeah. data. Okay. I. The ship, the new ship design just feels very new and like hip and 90s cool. Okay. I'm not my favorite ship design, but what I love about this and like the the best of both worlds episode, which I forgot, is like the the practical effects and the Borg ship design. Um, And I I don't know how much they changed um, in terms of special effects from like the remastered TNG episode, you know, compared to like the old episode. Uh, But to me, it felt like the, the practical design of the Borg ship was intact in those episodes still in like the remastered version I saw on Netflix. Um, but that carried on to the, to the movie and like seeing it 
in in the context of a future film, that Borg ship design, that's I think to me is amazing. It's 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 an, it's an amazing sci-fi um, uh, cool design that like I, that makes that makes the Borg stand out as like a cool villain for the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, as far as the special effects for Next Generation are concerned with the remastered stuff, um, unlike the original series where they went back and just made CGI effects for all the old things, with Next Generation, and I still cannot believe they did this because it's absolutely insane, they went back to, because everything was done on film, right? So they went back to the original roles and they recomposited all of the elements that had been made back in the eighties and nineties to base to, to completely remaster them in HD. So they, it's all the same elements just put back together in HD, which is insane that they did that. And that's why we've never seen Voyager or deep space nine in HD because, uh, well, for one thing doing that is insane, but also they, they started doing CGI effects then too. So you'd have to go back and basically redo them all from scratch and it would be very, very expensive, but yeah. So, so what you're seeing in, in the next generation remastered things are the same exact effects just in HD. So, yeah. Um, it's the practical effects hold up if that's the case. Yeah. And I love the practical effects here and like the ship design. Um, yeah. All the sets look great. And I think it's a major improvement from uh, generations. Mm-hmm. It feels, it fe- this feels like the, like the, the Star Trek, the motion picture of the new generation, the next generation franchise, if that makes sense. They're like, mm-hmm. Hey, we got yeah. like, a new ship design. We got these new uniforms everything looks everything like just feels different so yeah um as like we said before you know they used a lot of the sets from the show for gener- for generations so this this to me felt like a good aesthetic upgrade worth noting that uh the effects in this movie were uh done by John Knoll who was just coming off of Mission Impossible earlier in the year and after this went on to do the effects for episode 1 the Phantom Menace so Nice. Uh, I was just going to say I'm all for the the praise of the board cube because that's like the perfect simple design. It's like, yeah, a kid could draw that up, but it's like it's the right amount of like specifically obtuse for what we consider to be like functional ship design, not just like for the future in science fiction, but like given what we – use here on earth like in now times right like you wouldn't have a car that's a box the closest you get is like a humvee and everyone knows those things just guzzle gas and it's like that's not optimal for like function for like human functions for something that's supposed to like get along smoothly right and the borg is the perfect like obstruction to like what we perceive as normal. And so like the cube design always just completely like fascinates me, even though it's literally just a box. It's a simple <laughs> box in space that it's perfectly realized to oppose Starfleet. And it's really just a bunch of little wires connected. Like you could do that in like a couple weeks. If you're like really committed, you could do a Borg fan film about a ship floating in your backyard in like a couple weeks that's so cool to me. I wish they stopped hounding fan films because that's very uncool. But whatever. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation we can get into. Uh, but, yeah, I just love yeah. the Borg. I have a question for both of you right now, though. Oh, okay. What do you guys think about the Borg Queen? That's – here, let me uh, let me answer that as the Borg expert here on the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. I um, – I, 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 uh, okay, first off. I did want to talk about data, and this kind of brings into 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 the conversation data. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird, not weird. It's just off putting <laughs> to see data and a Borg queen just basically just 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 have innuendo after innuendo until they finally just have sex. <laughs> okay, that whole thing is 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 off putting. Maybe I just didn't expect that in a Star Trek film the way they 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 did it here. But the Borg Queen herself, I love I loved her design. It's kind of brought back memories of like seeing her 
Um, like in trailers and the clips on TV when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting character. Like I always like found her fascinating. And I, I actually did read some stuff online about fans not liking the Borg Queen because the Borgs were always supposed to be just these drones, like these like faceless figures that were all one big hive and giving I say hive, but you know, giving the the power to one one person, one person in the Borg kind of like defeats the purpose of the Borg, right? Which I'm like, ah, I I do like that there's a villain and she has her own special design and like she's the one everybody's interacting with and wanting to bring down. So I love that aspect of it. So I I like the Borg Queen, even though I think the whole <laughs> her seducing data is just a kind of a weird step in this movie. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm okay with the Borg Queen. I mean, certainly at the time I was like, uh, okay, that's that's a weird choice. You know, I wasn't quite expecting that because there's never really been that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's fine. I think the, the way that they deal with it works um, well enough. And, and it's one of those things like, you know, Darth Maul being brought back, you know, in in, in uh, Clone Wars, where it's like, that's a dumb idea, but yeah, now that he's back, you're, you're doing some cool stuff with it. So okay, you know, and 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 like later on in, um, you know, like uh, Voyager in particular, they they do a lot with the Borg Queen, which you know works pretty well. So I'm okay with it on the whole, but you know, it's not my favorite thing ever. But I'm not going to give him a hard time about it. Yeah, I, I like the Darth Maul analogy because it's like, what? That's a that's dumb. And then it's <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, like you know, Clone Wars at the time of recording this just finished up, and everyone who watched it is like, holy shit, that was some of the best Star Wars ever. <laughs> so yeah. like, and this I think is this is some of the best Star Trek ever. Honestly, this the things we're discussing in this episode, at least um, in terms of like the movie and the storytelling. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the Borg Queen too, and my kind of headcanon is that because the Borg constantly adapt to to what is um, like what they're up against. To me, it was always just like, well, the other people have uh, like leaders and stuff like that, so now we have to like adapt to that, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just an yeah. idea I thought of, and I just I haven't really heard that explored a lot. And it is kind of an abstract thing. I mean, you know, like they talk about it in the movie where they're like, you know, you remember me, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I do remember you. But then that ship blew up, so how are you here? And he, she's like, why are you thinking so three-dimensionally? You know, and then like, you know, they're bringing that, you know, further. Like she shows up a, a few times more on, you know, Voyager and stuff. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, that they sort of explained all that stuff. So, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Alice Krieg, who plays the Borg mm-hmm. Queen. Very... Uh, unnerving performance very talented actress uh she was just in gretel and hansel this year in 2020 which is a funky little movie not not great but interesting and she's really good in it okay yeah i think prior to this she was in like a lot of uh, who's that guy oh some weird guy who (laughs) one of my film professors made us watch all of his movies some guy he would do things like shoot stuff in black and white and then, ha- you know, hand paint all of his frames. And anyway, she was in a bunch oh of his movies. Um, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I have a question for both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Data, question mark. Why? <laughs> no, here. <laughs> uh, listen, listen. I just don't, I personally don't understand why. And we, we I think we'd mentioned this in the last episode. I think Mike may have mentioned like it's the for these movies it's essentially the Picard Data, you know, show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why is Data the, the number two character in this? Like, like, is he that popular? Because to me, I had this realization watching it this time. I'm like, oh, he's supposed to be the Spock, I guess. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. to to Picard's Kirk, and I had never had that realization until seeing it now. Because I was just like, why are we with? I like the character, but I would I would honestly rather have like Riker be more Picard Spock in these movies than than, than Data, because 
again, they do this. They did it last movie. Like data asks these questions of like, that seems beyond him. I think at this point being on the ship and being with Picard and all these people for over the course of like, what, like eight years or something, they should have answered all his questions about the human, you know, psyche and everything. But I, I don't know that, that that's it. Like, I'm just wondering, is data that popular? Why have data be the number two when maybe Riker could have been. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think you answered your own question is that he is the Spock of the show, you know, each, each, show to some degree or another has that character which is supposed to be sort of a a reflection of humanity or a foil to humanity someone who is an outsider who sees humanity in a different way and then makes us reflect on what it means to be human and i mean that's what data is for sure I mean, he's definitely the flashier of the two between him and Riker. I mean, I think Riker is the better character and everything, but, you know, there's certainly a lot more that you can do with Data. And um, because of that, yeah, he gets, you know, he gets all the glory in these. So Yeah, I, I, I love Data too, but uh, honestly, I'm more of a Riker or Worf kind of guy. Like uh, yeah, even even Worf. Like I, uh, the interaction he had with Picard, I, I quoted it at the beginning of the episode when when Picard calls him what like a coward. Mm-hmm. You want to run? You want to blow up the ship? And then Worf just goes, "If you're a different man, I would kill you where you stand." Like that's great. <laughs> I would rather have him kind of interact more with Picard in these movies than the Data. As much as I like Data, but. Even like with first contact, no, sorry, with generations and last last movie we talked about, I felt I had enough data. Maybe they could have shifted the focus to another side character. So, yeah, yeah. And Worf in this movie, I mean, that brings up an interesting thing. Um, Worf, by this point in time, was a regular character on Deep Space Nine. Uh, after generations, they brought. Worf on because Deep Space Nine was kind of like struggling in the ratings and it needed a boost. So they were like, we want you to bring on one of the characters from Next Generation. And they were like, this is some fucking bullshit. And they're like, okay, which of these characters is the most Deep Space Nine character? Worf. So they brought him on. And then, of course, once he was on, they're like, oh, this guy's fucking amazing. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he he's much better suited to Deep Space Nine than he is to, to Next Generation. And once he got onto Deep Space Nine, it's like, holy shit. Like, this is what this character can be if, like, someone actually knows what to do with him. <laughs> but every time they made one of these damn movies, they needed to figure out a way to get him back on the freaking ship, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I had no idea he, he, he went to Deep Space Nine after Next Generation. Yeah. So I just assumed, like, yeah, just he got a ship. He's, he, he became the captain of that ship, and that's like the side story that happened in the two years between movies. So I had no idea. Yeah, he did that ship that he's flying, and this is my favorite thing ever. Which has a what's that guy's name? Adam Scott. He's Adam Scott. Yeah, oh, yeah, surprised yeah, ben me. Wyatt. I go, hey, I know that Human guy. Human disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I, think uh, I think that might be his first movie. I'm not sure, but um, that that ship is that's the Deep Space Nine ship. You know, like after like three years or something like that, or two or three years, they were like, uh, we need to give them a battleship. And and the backstory behind the ship is like, this was designed by the Federation to use to fight the Borg when they come back. And now there was another <laughs> bad guy that needs it. So they, you know, shipped it off to deep space nine. But anyway, the idea that he's there and, and, and commanding that ship, I, like that's pretty badass. but here's my favorite thing. And maybe all of star Trek. Okay. There's that line in this in this in this movie, right? Where like like Worf comes on board and Riker's like tough little ship and then Worf says little, you know, and it's like ah ha ha that's funny. Um so <laughs> <laughs> like 6 years prior at the end of Next Generation, there was an episode where um there was like a transporter accident and it turned out that they had created a second Riker, right? So, like, the Riker that we all know and love got, went back to his ship and lived his life. But, like, this is, like, 10 years before Next Gen or something like that. There was, like, a 
like a refractor beam or something. And he also, in addition to him going up, there was a, the beam got reflected back and it created a second Riker who was stranded on this ship for like 15 years or whatever it was. And then on next generation, they go back to the ship and they're like, how is there another Riker? And he's like, ah. and the whole point of the episode is a good episode. The whole point of the episode is like, um, you know, oh, how does someone change if their life circumstances are different? You know, like if instead of becoming, you know, rising through the ranks in, in Starfleet, you're stuck on a ship alone for 10 years, like Tom Hanks and Castaway, you know, how, how do you, how do you, you know, what, what is one of it, you know, anyway, that has nothing to do with this point being, <laughs> the point being, okay. They have these two Rikers, which are now running around the galaxy. And there's an episode of deep space nine where the other Riker shows up on, on the station and they're showing him the defiant, the ship. And they're like, look at all this stuff it can do, blah, blah, blah. This is, it was like a brand new ship at that point in time. And this Riker's like tough little ship. And that episode was written by Ron Moore, and it's a throwaway line and whatever. And then, like, two years later, Ron Moore's writing this movie, and for, you know, big screen whatever, he has the other Riker just be like, tough little ship. And nobody knows, nobody realizes until, and he's like, one day there's going to be this thing called Netflix, and people are going to go back and watch this episode of Deep Space Nine, and they're going to be like, holy shit. And that's what I did. And, oh, my God, it's the best (laughs) thing ever. So... I kind of had that moment, <clears throat> excuse me, watching the best of both worlds, I think part two and somebody goes, um, data's or who is it? like data's made first contact with, uh, Picard or something. I go first contact. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you're watching the next movies, uh, and I mean, this one, they did a good job of getting Worf in, but, but uh, as you're watching the next ones, you keep an eye in for that moment when they explain why Worf is on the ship. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so how, how long did Deep Space Nine go for? Um, it was still going. Um, basically, the, the next movie takes place during the last season of Deep Space Nine. So, okay. so it will have been over with by the time that the last movie um, comes on. So, yeah. All right. Any final thoughts on first contact? Uh, I probably softballed it a little bit. It, it is pretty, pretty good. I, I'd even call, you know, I, I'll, I'll call it a great Star Trek movie or, you know, a great, yeah, a great, great Star Trek movie, not a great action movie. Um, but that's, that's okay. Star Trek doesn't always need to be, action adventure just needs to it needs to have an idea and uh, I, I think this one has its heart in the right place which makes up for some issues that may sprinkle in to the narrative or direction well, that's a ringing endorsement uh, Marcella <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, okay I'll say yes even though this for some reason makes me feel fall asleep this movie i think it is i think it is no it's not bad we're really Uh, bad at selling this very good movie (laughs) for some reason you know what i'll I'll give this example you know i'm I'm glad mike's here because i'm i'm i had this conversation with mike on one of the soderbergh episodes that we did out of sight for whatever reason that movie does not hit with me uh as like as like the other soderbergh movies do even though i i i acknowledge out of sight is a great movie it's it's amazing, but for some reason I just can, I just cannot get into it. I can't explain it. it. Happens every once in a while. As I was watching this first context uh, today, I'm like, this is a smart script. I like a lot of it. Even that you know w- very weird sexual stuff between Data and the cyber and the and the cyber queen is it's weird, uh, but I like it. <laughs> it the fact that it's in a Star Trek movie, I'm like, yes, sure, why not? Um, for, for all the problems I have with it, I still like the movie, but I just, I don't know. Like, it still makes me just want to fall asleep. <laughs> I, I, I love uh, Alfred Woodard. I mean, James Cromwell. I'm looking at the cast list. Like, the, the cast is great. Um, oh, who's that guy who's in Band of Brothers who also plays, like, a small part who becomes a Borg? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, I forget his name. Gosh. This is, like, his first movie, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love him. Everything he's in. Yeah. Uh, Neil, Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's um, great. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, again, this movie makes me want to fall asleep, but I still think the movie works. It's, so far, the second best Star Trek film I've, I've seen during this rewatch because I still count um, uh, All Good Things as the best Star Trek movie. Okay. <laughs> the Next Generation okay. Star Trek movie. Okay, I was like, whoa, 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 yeah. I don't know about let me, that. Let me specify. <laughs> so far, for me, the rankings of Next Generation movies go uh, All Good Things, First Contact, and then Generations. Okay, all right. I mean, I, I think that this is a great movie. Um, I, I would say it's the best of the next generation movies. Um, I'd put it up there towards the top of all Star Trek movies. Not at the top, but close to the top. Um, I mean, yeah, there's some stuff in there that doesn't work. I mean, the time travel doesn't really make any sense. It's fine, whatever. What <laughs> yeah, movies? we... Sorry to interrupt, Mike, but that... I, I For some reason, I just like... You know, I have problems with like the some of the time travel stuff in in what the the vo- it was the voyage home right the mm-hmm. the whales one oh yeah which I love but here it's kind of like a side like it kind of like oh let's just zip through this time travel stuff they for some reason have time travel the Borg and at the very end Enterprise can just go back to the future simply I don't know how they did it they just yeah. do it and I'm like <laughs> I, I'm just like sure why why not they followed you know, them that's how. <laughs> there was like no time spent on exp- explaining the time travel stuff which i was i guess fine with but if you really want to dig into it i'm like why or how but it doesn't matter but even with that it's like they're like oh no the borg traveled back in time right and changed the future so we have to go chase them but then once they get back in time the way that the borg succeed is by beaming onto the enterprise and you know and it's like well but then they couldn't have done it if they, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, you know, the thing that I always say is like Back to the Future time travel makes like the least sense of any time travel movie, and yet that's still a masterpiece, right? Yeah. So who cares? It's like when you're watching it, it works. So okay. Yeah. I yeah. I think it works. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I think it's pretty great, but. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. Another great endorsement of this movie. But whatever. <laughs> so so next week we're going to be watching uh, the third Next Generation movie, Insurrection, uh, also directed by Jonathan Frakes. Uh, but before that, and I would say before that, we should watch an episode of Deep Space Nine. We're trying to hit all the series, but this is an interesting episode of Deep Space Nine because, to me, it really sets the the scene for what is going on in the universe at the point in time that insurrection takes place, right? Like, this is the the political landscape for the story that... that is 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 taking place in insurrection and the only thing that i'll say about it is there's a big war like a really big war which has been going on for a couple of years and things are not looking great and this episode is kind of about uh the lengths that people will go in war so yeah, the episode. Oh, uh, I guess we should say what the episode is so that people can watch it. <laughs> no, let, let people figure okay. it out. <laughs> they, 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 they no, no. Just it's watch all Deep Space Nine. You should do that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, the episode, which <laughs> I mean, even the title is great. It's called In the Pale Moonlight. Mm. Batman reference. Batman I'm, I'm reference. In, <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued and expect Batman to show up in this episode. You could say that Batman takes place in in Star Trek continuity, but we don't need to get into that now. <laughs> what what side did uh, Batman fall in in the eugenics war? <laughs> Tell me that. <laughs> well, I don't know. The thing is, there's a there's a um, a baseball card uh, from a, a guy who you see who was a baseball player, um, and uh, one of the the teams that he played for was the gotham city bats so oh, okay. that to me suggests that gotham city exists so you know whatever anyway <laughs> um 
but yeah, in the pale moonlight, you know, I, I once saw a screening of Batman 89 and uh, Sam Ham, the writer was there uh-huh. and like someone was like, how'd you come up with that? that line, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? That's like one of the most iconic lines. How'd you come up with that? And he's like, uh, that, that came after I left. (laughs) But yes, still a great line. Still a great line. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Should we, should we wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that, that's all she wrote. My first contact again, our our go, go back to our great endorsement of this movie. It's great folks. Yeah. Watch it. You'll totally like it. (laughs) Probably. Uh, All right. We'll see. (laughs) So Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You could follow me on Twitter at the Diego Crespo and check out the waffle press on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Patreon. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, that, that's about it. Doing doing some commentaries, right at the time of recording this, I just released uh, the thing and the Rise of Skywalker commentary. If you're aching for a re- revisit of either of those, well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the uh, the Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio thing. What? That one? No, 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 no. The um, oh, Mary the Elizabeth Winstead. Whatever. No. Okay. Yeah, no, I got, I got wrong, it now. Yeah, wrong, wrong, Mary Elizabeth. Yes. Um, that 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 thing prequel, which is good, by the way. Um, the the first draft was written by Ron Moore. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> Marcelo, where can people find you on the uh, internet? Talk Film Society, talkfilmsociety.com, on Twitter at talkfilmsoc, Patreon, patreon.com slash talkfilmsociety. That's it, right? I've said it a thousand times, and for some reason, I'm like down on myself today. It's patreon.com slash talk from society. Yeah. Um, And also, uh, folks, follow at PussycatsNFR. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. No wonder everyone's down on First Contact. You guys watched a movie that was way better. Josie and the Pussycats. What did you guys think? Five stars, A+, plus, better than the last Boy Scout, two thumbs up, 10 out Jeez. of 10, 5 out of 5, you name it, it's got it. Yeah. It's, I, this is not a joke, I honestly think it should be in the National Film Registry, because it is, it captures the early 2000s, late 90s music, pop culture, anything culture, better than I think it, a lot of movies I've seen, maybe any movie I've seen, so... Yeah, yeah. Justin Pussycats. As as with the recording, it's on HBO. I don't know if it's going to be on HBO when this drops, but seek it out if you haven't seen it. Yeah, and, it is. And like, yeah, like me and Diego who have seen it for the first time. Um, if you haven't seen it before, see it because it's great. It's it is complete capsule of that. Like Marcelo said, that early two thousands era, late nineties. Um, it is both satirical and completely sincere. And just the best. It's it's so good. It is ridiculously good. And a reminder that film criticism is often driven by, or the film culture landscape at least, is driven by a, a very male skewed perspective. Because otherwise, this would be known as like a, a at least a cult classic. And it's just kind yeah, of been shoveled I'm, aside. And that's not fair. I, I'm happy to put this alongside like. Phantom of the Paradise and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh yeah, in terms of like comedy slash musical slash classic film. So there you go. That's my endorsement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've been I've been a fan since day one, and and all of my friends too. Like we like there were like three of us who are like this is the best movie ever, and everyone else is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, <laughs> and now finally, you know, twenty years later, people are are finally starting to catch on. It makes me so happy. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out. I cannot believe this. I was at a convention like a year ago. It was a clueless reunion panel. So they had oh, like wow. uh, Brecken Meyer and Donald Faison up there. And they said that Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfon, or, along with, you know, everyone else, Seth Green, all of them went to Netflix and they were like, we want to do like a du jour mockumentary series. <laughs> Oh my god! And Netflix was like, "No, <laughs> what? <insane>. What? <laughs> How? I don't understand." Uh, anyway, don't don't mean to leave you on a down note, but uh, <laughs> I'm depressed. <yeah. laughs> First contact. You can find, 
Sorry, yeah. first contact. Yeah. Go see that. <laughs> go see. Go see that. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles Three K, and you can find me on FilmDamagePod dot com talking about um, uh, film projection on a show called Film Damage. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, you guys ready? We're gonna do this. Ready. Yes. Oh All yeah. Right. Always ready. All right. Give a countdown. Three, two, one. I, I have had, had enough, enough of, of you. you. Oh.